Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to shake up the HR status quo and how people are organized, engaged, and motivated to create real business impact. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place because this is where the best run. I said it, we always mean it. So let's see what the buzz on the street is here today. I have a quote from somebody named Amber Hyatt at SilkRoadTechnologyAdvice.com. And let me read this. I think it's going to set us up really nicely. She says, Millennial expectations are shaping where technology is going and where the modern worker will be. Now, for all of you who out there are tired of hearing millennials blame for everything going on in the workplace, forget the word millennials. Let's talk about worker expectations are shaping where technology is going and where the modern worker will be. What do we expect? What's our experience at work? Is there enough technology? Is it consumer friendly like we have in our regular lives? Is it simple enough? Is it too complex? So we're going to talk about that keyword I just dropped on you, complex. What are we talking about? Descaling the complexity complexity of legacy systems and cumbersome processes in the HR technology space makes a lot of people laugh. They're not laughing, ha, 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 that's funny. They're laughing, seriously, we can take the complexity out of the systems we've had for years. We can unencumber the processes. Are you joking? That's what they're laughing about. Why is this true? While Agile and other lean approaches make sense on paper, you see them in reports, you see them in proposals. Yes, let's make our processes lean. We're going to clean everything up. It's going to be great. It's really tough to implement them in our work culture. Today, more is more not necessarily less. We have a panel of three experts who are going to explore the principle of simplicity. Can they be applied to HR technology effectively? And is simplicity, follow me here, all that it's cracked up to be, or is a certain way to deal with complexity where we really want to be? We have a very provocative quote from one of our panelists who is quoting an author, and it's going to challenge that question of, do we really need simplicity or do we need to cope better with complexity? It's a very complex process, but we're going to make it simple. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome so much to our series called Changing the Game with HR Radio. If you're keeping track, this is Season 3, Episode 5, and a shout out to my colleague, Dr. Patty Fletcher, who is at SAP Success Factors for bringing this back again this year. We're so happy to be talking about a focus on HR, Patty. So let me tell you who my three panelists are now that I'm not joking on my own glee here, and we're going to tell you who they are, and then we'll get started with their opening quotes. In just a minute, you'll be meeting a newcomer to Game Changers. She is Suzanne McAndrew, Managing Director, Talent and Rewards, and Global Head of Talent Line of Business at Willis Towers Watson. We'll meet her. We'll find out in a little while what she does, what her company does. Looking forward to speaking with Suzanne. Second up, we're welcoming back Dan Ward. He's the author of The Simplicity Cycle, A Field Guide to Making Things Better Without Making Them Worse. Well, that's an optimistic title, Dan Ward. Happy to have you back. And another newcomer, Mark McCauley. He has a lot of letters after his name, C-I-S-S-P-C-I-S-M. He'll translate for me. Global Vice President, HR Technology at SAP. Thank you the three of you for joining me today. 
Let's start off with Suzanne McAndrew has sent us a quote from Eric Reese or Eric Rice, wherever you want to pronounce it. He's the author of The Lean Startup, How Today's Entrepreneurs Use Continuous Innovation to Create Radically Successful Businesses. And he has a whole thing here online, Suzanne, about he attributes the failure of his first startup to not understanding the wants of his target customers and focusing too much on the initial product launch. Here is the quote. The big question of our time is not can it be built, but should it be built? Suzanne McAndrew, welcome. How are you? Thank you. I'm I'm doing great. First time back on the radio since my college days, so I'm glad to be here with you today. Well, it's long overdue, so let's get you on. Yeah. Let's get you on more often. So talk to me about the area. Do you pronounce it Eric Reese, Eric Rice? How do you prefer? It's Eric Reese, and Eric's been uh, long time known in Silicon Valley on the work he's done with startups. He wrote The Lean Startup, as you said, and he also just recently wrote a book this year released called The Startup Way. So that's really helping organizations, legacy organizations, 100-year-old organizations know more what they can do to uh, be like a startup. So, Suzanne, you know, the really, um, I was going to say there's more to the quote. I didn't read the whole quote. May I finish yeah. reading it? A little bit more here. Yeah, it please. starts with, the big question of our time is not can it be built, but should it be built? This places us in an unusual historical moment. Our future prosperity depends on the quality of our collective imaginations. I apologize for not reading the whole thing. Now tell me what this has to do with our topic, Suzanne. Yeah, no, it is, it is a quote that I've been using. And as I've been out doing my platform all about the future of HR and radically retooling HR and sitting with HR leaders, I put this quote on the board to just have us all pause and think. And to me, it, it, it has three themes that come through the conversations. One is, um, what do we mean in HR by innovation? You know, HR, unfortunately, sometimes gets the reputation of creating more random acts of HR mm-hmm. than real impact that, ha- that they need to have on the business. So, When it comes to innovation, I think this calls upon us to ask that second question on, you know, should it be built? And thinking about what do we need to innovate to make something better for our customers in HR? So, you know, uh, I think that's a really important question to ask because we can't just innovate for innovation's sake. We really have to think about should it be built for our customer and why should it be built? I think the second thing is all about, uh, you know, complexity, which is, you know, we have a responsibility in HR to think about the human side of what mm-hmm. we do as we face the future. And we really have to think about our opportunity and responsibility to preserve that and to balance business decisions on how people interact with AI and automation and what we do with data on our people to make decisions. And then I guess the third thing is really the call to action. And one of the things that strikes me having been in the HR function on the corporate side and now consult is that we have in HR almost a legacy that's the millstone that hangs around our neck. Mm -hmm. And how can HR really start with that growth mindset and not start with it can't be built? Um, but really have the opportunity to ask more questions about the, um, you know, what, what we need to build. Is it our time to build it, and should it be built? 
Thank you very much, Suzanne. I have a question for you. When we talk about the complexity of HR in the technology space, as I mentioned in my opening, are we talking about it from the perspective of HR leaders who have to work with this technology? Are we speaking about it from the perspective of what you refer to as the HR customer? That's the people in the workforce, the employees of that HR department? Or are we speaking about both? Who is the one who's, quote unquote, suffering from this complexity? Yeah, this is such a great question, and and it's hard, and this is what makes it complex. I think the HR leader today has many customers to be worried about and um, themselves being always last on the list. I think uh, where HR needs to focus first is what um, their employee needs or even their broader talent needs because employees will be full-time employees and, you know, more flexible workforces of the future. What does that employee need um, to be the most productive and engaged with their whole experience? Then, um, coupled with that, what does the business need? So your business leaders um, are a key customer in the HR function, really working closely with the business. If the business, I have one client looking for two times growth in the next two years. Well, wow, you know, that's going to double the workforce. There's no way HR will be able to scale unless they're ready to rid of some of the legacy systems they and processes they have in place, which brings you to the third audience, which is how are you going to look inside yourself? You know, mm. where is HR going to retool, reskill? Um, we've been great stewards in HR of, you know, optimizing investments, managing costs of total rewards, and, and maybe getting some investments for new HRIS systems. But where are we going to be bold and really be strategic about what we need to deliver on those two customer needs around our employee and our business? And, of course, the customer of that organization um, who ultimately is going to buy whatever you're going to sell. Thank you very much. I, Suzanne, I have to tell you, I always get such a kick out of it when I ask a question off the top, which is the only way I work on radio, and my, my panelists say, that's a really good question, and I, <laughs> there's a word for that, I fail. I say, yeah, I did something, I, I did something yeah. good here. Thank, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for your very thoughtful answer. Great start to our topic. Now I'm going to circle a little bit around the table to Dan Ward, who is waiting patiently to, to share his quote. He sent us a quote from Don Norman, the author of the 2010 book, Living with Complexity. And very interesting here. Um, here's a couple of notes here. Before I read the quote, Dan, if only today's technology were simpler, it's the universal lament, but it's wrong. Don Norman writes that the complexity of our technology must mirror the complexity and richness of our lives. Complexity is good. Simplicity is misleading. Now I'm going to read the quote you picked. And it goes right to the heart of what I just read from from his bio here. Complexity by itself is neither good nor bad. It is confusion that is bad. Dan Ward, have I confused anybody? Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Bonnie, it's so great to be on the show again. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, Um, we're delighted to have you, Dan. Talk to me. This is a little bit of, uh, you're on the topic, obviously, but you've picked a quote from somebody who was saying, Nah, don't get rid of complexity. Just stop the the confusion, the melee, the misunderstandings in that complexity. Why don't you take a stand? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, so simplicity is an ironically complex topic. Uh, There's a lot of um, facets that go into simplicity, and I think oftentimes we we can overvalue simplicity, um, just as in, in other times we can overvalue complexity. But when we talk about things like simplicity and complexity, what we're really talking about, uh, or we're complaining about either of those, what we're really complaining about is confusion. 
Um, so the example I like to use is, is chocolate bars. So the difference between a good chocolate bar and cheap chocolate is complexity. Uh, the, the more expensive stuff tends to have more flavor notes, more character as it melts on your tongue. It, it's more complex. Uh, the cheap stuff, the cheap chocolate, is, is flat, it's boring, uh, it's too simple, and it, it's not worth eating, frankly. Uh, so if we, we, we all need and we want a certain amount of complexity in our, in our technologies and our systems and our processes and in our chocolate. Uh, and where it goes badly, though, is when things get confusing, when, when the different flavor notes clash, when you bite into a chocolate bar and you think, like, what is even happening here? There's just too much going on in this chocolate bar. Um, so uh, in terms of whether it's HR systems or processes or, or technology in general, um, we're looking to build cohesion, harmony, clarity, uh, which is a type of simplicity. Oftentimes we find that harmony, clarity, and cohesion through simplifying when you're in a situation where you know, complexity has been rising for a long time and we need to be in reducing it. Um, but ultimately the, the complexity isn't the issue. It's the confusion that's bad, as, uh, as Don Norman said. Very interesting. I'm so intrigued that you use chocolate as a metaphor or an example, an analogy perhaps, about complexity or not. Uh, you know, I've, I've tried to cut out sugar in my diet the past couple months. I did that, but I still have a craving for chocolate. And when I don't have the luxury of a good chocolate bar in the house, Dan, I will tap into my supply of, of Nestle's chocolate chips in the freezer that I'm supposed to save for the baking that I don't do anymore. And I'm trying to discern the difference between the dark chocolate kind, the bigger ones, and the semi-sweet. And frankly, they're just both complex enough for my taste buds. (laughs) And frozen is good. Yeah, you can do the same thing with with, uh, wine or or coffee. I mean, connoisseurs in in almost every field will talk about the the complexity of the experience as you sip it or bite it or or consume it. Um, And and that complexity is what adds the the value and the interestingness uh, to to the experience. And I, and I like the word interestingness. But, I, right, we're going to yeah. go with the word of the day is interestingness. I like that, Dan. You're an author. You get to say that. You've just created a new word for us. <laughs> Everybody listen up. Word of the day is interestingness. No complexity here. It's simple. Thank you, Dan. It's wonderful to have you back. And now we have another newcomer in addition to Suzanne waiting patiently. It's Mark McCauley at SAP. Mark has found a quote from Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, and the quote is just two words that absolutely boggled the minds of some of her managers when she said it as the new corporate dress code for GM. I'm just going to read the two words. Mark, if you know the story, fine. Tell it. If not, I'll be happy to tell it. I have it here in my notes. The two words she said are the new dress code instead of a 10-page dress code treatise that GM has had for many years. Here's what she told her managers. This is what people are going to abide by. Dress appropriately. Mark McCauley, I'm thrilled with your quote. Talk to me. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, it's 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 funny since I heard that quote from Mary, it just is constantly stuck in my head as kind of the new mandate of how we go about looking at things, processes, business, and the impact of simplicity, um, both as a as a tool and it's just kind of a guiding principle. So um, yeah, I, I, I love it. Uh, it, it just comes out time and time again on all of the various different conversations that I'm having with uh, customers or other people that are, that are, you know, talking about, you know, the impact of technology today or our customers from, you know, how they're looking to transform 
their operations, their organizations, their processes. And sometimes when you try to simplify, you make it even more complex because people don't get it. It's a culture thing, isn't it, Mark? Do you find that? We're talking about the culture at GM that Mary had to deal with when she made the new policy. A senior manager went to her and said, what? Seriously? You have to explain it. People aren't going to get it. And it turns out some of their employees needed to meet with government officials from time to time and needed to be dressed more formally than the business casual every day. And she said, just tell them to keep a, a pair of dress pants in their locker and they can just change when they need to. And she used another two words, problem solved. <laughs> Do you like that one, Mark? No, and it's great. You know, what I like about the story is, you know, Mary wasn't coming into the organization as an outsider. I mean, she had basically grown up at GM since she was mm-hmm. a teenager, having, you know, worked on the factory floors. She was the VP of HR. I mean, she fundamentally knew um, what this company was about, including, you know, the bureaucracies that existed. And so when she fundamentally was looking at, uh, when she took over as CEO, looking at how was she really going to change the culture. And instead of looking at the big rocks to move, especially in such a bureaucratic organization, she decided to focus on, you know, some of the most simplistic and, and, and you know, kind of inconsequential things um, that could make a fundamental impact to the culture of the organization. And, you know, it's interesting, as a technologist, normally I'd want to point out that it was technology solutions that are helping to simplify and solve problems. But I think the point here is sometimes the simplest things that can make the biggest change are not necessarily being enabled by technology. It's being able to, by looking at it with a new mindset and, and using simplicity as a tool to break down the assumptions, to break down the bureaucracies, and get down to the real reasons behind the, you know, what we've put in place historically. So I, I, just, thought it, I just think it's brilliant in both its simplicity but also how it's wielded as a tool um, for her to really kind of solve problems and change the culture within a large organization. Very well put. You're absolutely right. She was not, definitely not an outsider coming in and saying, okay, how can I strip you of all of this complexity and the layers and layers of rules and regulations? She was part of it. She understood it. I have a feeling she probably knew there was going to be some pushback from some, shall we say, I'm using this politely, seasoned managers who couldn't figure out how to do things without the 10-page treatise? Do you think that probably was the case? Well, and I think what it did is it showed out uh, that if they couldn't handle some simple mandate like dress appropriately, what are the other decisions that, you know, her managers and enabling her managers to make decisions, what other decisions aren't they able to make? So it also was a tool for empowerment. And when you start to empower people at different levels, um, then it really is a fundamental kind of catalyst to change. Thank you so much. Great addition to the introduction to our topic today. Appreciate the three of you. We're going to go around the table now, starting with Suzanne McAndrew, and I have three questions for each of you. Uh, Dan, I can't remember what you told me on these last time you were on. It was a while ago, but I'm assuming you've got some updates for me. Suzanne McAndrew, three questions. Number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what's your favorite beverage that powers you to feel so good about what you do? I have your picture in front of me here and the smile. Your hand is up. You're talking to a group, obviously. That energy, where does that come from in terms of a beverage? Yes, it's 2.22 p.m. here on the East Coast, but it could be an alcoholic beverage. It's cocktail hours somewhere, Suzanne. And the third question is, what do you do at Willis Towers Watson and what does the company do? Suzanne, all yours. 
Yeah, great. So, yes, even though I traveled the world in my job, and uh, the photo you're referring to was from an event I was at in Shanghai, I'm here in New York, New York, my hometown, and um, it's great to be home <laughs> for a day. And I, I will start with, um, I guess, a story about what beverage powers me before I get into what I do. I, okay. I, I thought about this, and, um, you know, right now the beverage that powers me is, is jasmine green tea. And I actually think about two cups of jasmine tea that um, I'm holding, one for me and one for my 15-year-old son. And it's actually something that we, we shared together just last night, even though it was a little too late to be having caffeine, even though it's a little too, uh, never too early for a cocktail, as you said. It, yep. it, was, it, was, a, it was a moment that caught me because, you know, almost, um, it's become almost a nightly ritual with Aiden that started with me pushing uh, tea on him to care for hmm. cold. And it moved to him asking me to make a cup of tea for him, which, you know, as a 15-year-old, I'm like, can you boil water? <laughs> can you do this yourself? <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, it, it, it's become now to something that I, I'm longing for him to ask me to do for him and sit with him. Because in looking backwards, um, it's clear to me that, you know, my time with him is becoming less and less. And evenings have, have always been our moments. You know, as a a small child, it was about, you know, him asking me to tell him a story, you know, uh, either about my day or make up something for his imagination. And now we're at a point in our relationship where we're sharing stories over a cup of tea at night. So to me, what powers me is really holding on to that to that cup with him, you know, to really taking um a different view on the complexities of our day, um, of those experiences, to slow down time, to move from talking about routine stuff, you know, how was your day, how was your class, how was your test, to real stuff. Um, and some of the hard stuff as he will face as he, he faces the future. So, mm-hmm. you know, that's what powers me. That's, that's, that's the beverage right now that, that uh, I'm looking forward to when I go home tonight. Wonderful. And? Your role. What do you do? What is my role? Towers Watson. So, yeah, other than, you know, when you talked about millennials at the beginning, I thought, you know, hey, I'm a born again millennial. I don't like those <laughs> stereotypes. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I am looking for many of the things that anybody in their career is looking for. And I feel like I have one of the greatest jobs in the world. I lead Willis Towers Watson's global talent advisory and data and software business. And with that, um, we are working with Fortune 200 organizations, their HR teams and business leaders to create better working experiences for people. So our day-to-day is uh, very much on topic for our discussion today on the future of HR. Can't wait to get into it. Thank you very much. We already are into it. I think we've got some good opinions so far. Suzanne, thank you so much. Dan Ward, you're next. Where art thou? What do you love to drink right now? Anything or everything goes. And what have you been up to? Um, yes, I'm uh, just outside of Boston uh, and um, been here for uh, coming up on six years, which is significant because I'm an Air Force brat and spent a little over 20 years in the military. And so I've never been in one place for this long. So it's nice to have a place that really mm-hmm. I, I get to call home now. Um, as far as what's in my cup, uh, probably what's in my cup is less interesting than the, than the mug itself. Uh, I'm a man of simple tastes. So I mostly drink water uh, or just plain black coffee. I, I like coffee-flavored coffee. 
Uh, but the <laughs> mug I drink out of is this gorgeous handmade mug that I got at an artisan craft fair in Yellow Springs, Ohio. Uh, I met the guy who made it. It just fits in my hand perfectly. It feels so nice. Uh, and I know it just makes my coffee taste better. So um, I like that. Yeah, plain coffee, but uh, kind of a fancy little mug. <laughs> Very and, cool. Um, as for what I do, uh, I'm a military technologist. Uh, my main areas of expertise are defense policy and rapid innovation uh, principles and practices. Uh, my business card said innovation says innovation catalyst, mm-hmm. uh, and so I kind of help my uh, my company, uh, the MITRE Corporation, and our our sponsors in the federal government figure out ways to deliver innovative capabilities faster uh, for less time and, and less money. Very and interesting. Dan, how in the world did you land on a show about HR technology and cumbersome uh, processes? This is, that is very a great question. Yeah. I'm so glad you asked. Right. So Thank one you. of the key ingredients in innovation, is particularly rapid innovation, if you want to get, you know, really stuff that's that's different and impactful and you want to do it quickly, the key uh, ingredient is diversity. Uh, diversity of experiences, diversity of perspectives. Uh, and so the more we can blend categories, the more we can bring people together from a variety of different backgrounds, ethnicities, uh, perspectives, um, the more effective and more innovative our organizations and teams will be. So uh, I think HR certainly has a role in helping to to foster more of that. Uh, And I think bringing a military technologist in to talk with uh, a bunch of HR folks, uh, I think is, is a great way to help foster more innovation. Very, very cool. Thank you very much. Uh, by the way, how's the book doing? And when did it come out? I don't have a date for your book here, The Simplicity Cycle. Oh, yeah. Uh, let's see. Simplicity Cycle came out in uh, May of 2015. Okay. Self-published or did you have a, a name brand publisher? I'm just curious. Oh, uh, no, uh, published by HarperCollins or Harper Business. That's that's very nice. Yes, I, I have a my own personal radio show on a different channel on Monday nights, and I mostly interview indie independent authors. Most of them are self-published, and I'm always interested to know who's with the, the brand name publishers, and I do get a lot of PR pitches from those as well. Thank you, Dan. Lovely to reconnect with you, and thank you for your thoughtful insights. Mark McCauley at SAP, love to know the same three things. Where are you? What kind of a drink really powers you? Get specific as you wish. And what's your role as the global VP of HR technology at SAP, Mark? Sure. So um, I am. While I'm a native of Scottsdale, Arizona, which most people are surprised that there are actually natives of uh, Arizona, um, I always think <laughs> that my home is the closest Marriott, of which I am talking to you today from New York City, sitting in uh, a Marriott right now. So. Um, that's where I am, and it, it, as I look at like what's in my cup, what, what really kind of drives me is since I'm on the road a lot, since I'm always surrounded by technology, you know, my drink of choice is always going to be you know either a Mexican beer or maybe like Red Stripe because it just reminds me or, or kind of propels me back to where I really like to be when I'm not trying to be a technologist, and that is mm-hmm. you know. Toes in the sand, looking at uh, the ocean, as you can imagine, uh, being from the desert, uh, don't get that viewpoint much. And that's ultimately where I like to be, uh, about as far away from technology as possible. Uh, And, you know, that really kind of goes to where I spend a majority of my time, uh, both on the road, is working for SAP as kind of the voice of technology for HR. Um, I get to travel the world, and I run a group of individuals that are out there and really, it's not just about technolo- uh, talking about technology to technologists. It's being able to interpret it and make it relevant and easy to understand to HR as well. 
Um, as you can imagine there, and, you know, we're talking about it today, there's a lot of value that's being brought um, in, by technology as an enabler for the organization and how can HR really understand it and be able to know how to use it? And ultimately, you know, I love being able to talk to customers and seeing the aha moments of why it matters for HR to understand technology and the application of technology to their problems. Thank you very much, Mark. Nice to meet you. And I'm Bonnie D. Graham. I'm here in Durham, North Carolina. I recently moved here just about a year and three weeks ago from Long Island, New York. So Suzanne and at least Mark probably know. Well, Dan, maybe too. Great Neck, Long Island on the North Shore, just over the Queens border into Nassau County. It was called the Gold Coast. That's where I was for 35 years. And I have to warn you that they do not let me have any caffeinated beverages on radio shows. Days. This is my second live show today. So I have a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water. I put a couple ice cubes in it and a pink straw because it is a beautiful blue sky day here in Durham. We have a 20 degree temperature spread. We started at 66 and we're going up to 86 today. You don't know what to do with your central air conditioning. Do you leave it on 72? Do you pump it up to 78? Is it going to be cold in the morning, hot in the It's just a big enigma to me, still getting used to the weather. We have blue skies and very, very beautiful fluffy clouds and a lot of sunshine. So, you know what? I am going to give my panelists a very quick break, 90 seconds. You can count them along with us. We're going to take a quick sip of something and we're going to come back with the roundtable, formally start our roundtable kicking it off with Suzanne McAndrew at Willis Towers Watson and then we will invite Dan Ward and Mark McCauley to comment on Suzanne's first topic and we'll go around and around the table so don't even think of touching that mouse that app that dial you know the drill we'll be right back A-Rod out From setting up the right structures, enabling technology, and compliant operations, to hiring, developing, and cultivating a culture of success, SAP Success Factors is excited to be your partner in redefining what human resources can deliver to business leaders. Changing the Game with HR brings you insights from the movers and shakers who are making this happen. We'll delve into global business challenges from the boardroom to the shop floor and learn what is working and what has to change, all to help you change HR from transactional to transformational. Tune in to the Business Channel to hear today's top human resources business and technology strategy thought leaders share expert insights on how human resources leaders are shaping the future of change for all of us. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. Email your comments and questions to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet during and after the live show at Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Changing the Game with HR. Yes, indeed. We're trying to change the game, specifically wondering whether there's too much complexity in legacy systems and processes in HR, in the world of HR, in HR technology. Is the complexity a good thing as long as it doesn't 
cause confusion. We've been debating that one for a while. My very special panelists today are Suzanne McAndrew at Willis Towers Watson, Dan Ward, the author, and Mark McCauley at SAP. And thank you for coming back with us. We're going to go to some roundtable notes here from Suzanne McAndrew. I'm going to read a little bit. Suzanne will then expand it for us, and then we'll see what Dan and Mark have to say. And remember, Dan and Mark, you do not have to agree with everything Suzanne says. So here's the topic we're going to start with. Suzanne says, in her notes she sent me before the show, HR can, and she emphasized, she italicized the word can, HR can get agile and adopt a design thinking mindset. That's very provocative, Suzanne. So why don't you tell us more, please? Yeah, and it just gets back to where we started and some of the comments, Mark, that you were even saying about how do we get to the problem solved? And the the, the comments that I was talking about is how do we get to what our customer needs? So for me, I've been a bit on a journey thinking about design thinking for HR since I was leading executive talent management at American Express. And when I was there, I was helping our executives at the top levels bring innovation into the organization and working with a thought leader, Roger Martin, uh, from uh, Toronto. He's a thought leader in this area, as well as some folks from Duke University, right down the street from uh, Ubani. And Uh I started to say, if we can apply some of these design thinking skills to HR, can we do better at giving our, uh, our organization better look at performance management? Can we find a better way to look at our our rock stars? Can we redefine careers? And to me, these are core skills, core questions to ask to get to the problem solved. So when I'm working with organizations and they come to me to solve a big problem, let's just say around how do we redefine what a career means at XYZ organization, I, I ask HR, you know, really, what do you mean by that? You know, who are you trying to solve that for? And, and do you really know what your customers, your employees need? And we engage um, not just HR. We actually try to get HR out of the room and mm-hmm. hmm. real employees, business leaders in the room to talk to us about, you know, for example, well, why do they do what they do? What are they looking for in a career? What are some of the pains that get in the way? What are some of the gains that we need to create to help remove the barriers for you understanding what, for example, a career looks like? And then, you know, working with people outside of HR, we often come up with amazing quick wins. You know, looking at, um, Mark, as you said, not to move the big rock, but how do we come up with some of the simple delights that are going to help solve the problem at hand. So with one organization, when it came to a career, it was simply about managers having a great conversation one-on-one about what a career means. And also a look for, you know, a better tool, technology, um, similar to LinkedIn inside the organization. You know, there wasn't a good way for managers to be able to see the talent that was outside of their function and into the whole enterprise. So getting to what, you know, customers really need, how do you serve up those needs, and then how do you build a strategy around it? Uh, The trick to the agile nature is HR willing to pilot and test things. You know, HR tends to be a little bit more resistant and risk-averse given, you know, some of the different compliance things they look after to actually go after some of these rapid experimentation when it comes to design thinking. 
So, you know, those, those are some of my initial thoughts around that. I don't know what my other two panelists think and what you've seen. We're going to find out right now. Dan Ward is waiting, eager to jump in. Dan, up to you. Talk to me. Agree or disagree with what Suzanne put out for us? Uh, so, so I agree with uh, virtually everything. The, the one word I would disagree with is, is that word can. I would say HR must get agile ah. and adapt to design thinking mindset. Um, you know, if, if we want our organization to really attract and, and retain the best talent, um, we, we can't just sort of maintain the status quo. We, we need to move to um, methods and techniques and mindsets uh, that are things like agile and, and design thinking. I think that really is um, the best path forward for, for making sure we're, you know, finding and, and connecting with and, and keeping uh, the best people, uh, the, the best talent in our organizations. Thank you. I was just about to tweet what Suzanne said. HR can get agile and adopt as a design thinking mindset, and I amended it. I had a couple characters I squeezed out of it, Dan, and I wrote HR can and must get agile. So there, you're in there too. Thank you very much, Mark McCauley. Love to get your thoughts on this. What do you think? Well, I, you know, I have to laugh a little bit because two hours ago um, with my co-author Julie Bartholik and the director of design thinking for HR over at IBM, a gentleman by the name of uh, uh, Damon Diener, um, we just did a SHRM webinar, an hour-long webinar on uh, basically design thinking for HR uh, or design-driven HR. So mm-hmm. I'm in complete violent agreement, um, including Dan's insistence that, that it is a must um, as the new competency for HR for them to really um, be able to think for the future. You know, we even have a quote in that when we were talking with uh, earlier on the webinar that, you know, the Institute for the Future says that a design mindset is listed as one of the key work skills of the future. And, and this is not just for HR. I think it is a key work skill uh, across the organization because it really is going to allow um, companies to fundamentally adapt, innovate, and be creative in how they're solving the problems of not just today, but, you know, for the future. Um, the other key thing that I think she pointed out, and it's kind of a motto, and I'd, I'd love to get a T-shirt printed up, is <laughs> is just the challenge to HR um, of to rather than pursuing the big P projects that they have um, in how they've gone about projects in the past and change in the past, um, my motto is always be in beta, which means that you always have to be in an iterative cycle of bettering your processes and doing it on, you know, uh, my challenge to HR that we said today was, you know, every project, every change that you're looking to make, you should be able to do it within 90 days. And so really kind of the rapid and agile process and having a design thinking mentality is, uh, again, Dan couldn't have said it better. It is a must mandate uh, for organizations of today, including HR. Thank you very much. Um, Suzanne, I'm going to move along to a topic here in Dan's list to keep this going rather than coming back and having you sum this up. I think we've done a good job on working with what you said. No, we're in wide agreement here. Dan Ward, a couple of things here, Dan. You're quoting somebody named Jerry Harvey. I'm not going to ask you to explain this. I just want to drop this on our audience. Jerry Harvey said, people aren't actually resistant to change. Instead, we're resistant to being left behind. I think that's true in so many things we do in, in all walks of life. It's the fear of being left out or not, not being included anymore. But what I want to talk about, Dan, is you say, 
While it's a good idea to pursue simplification, let's bear in mind it's possible to go too far, oversimplify, and leave out important pieces. Then you add, there are several kinds of simplicity. The best kind you call strong simplicity is elegant, clear, thoughtful, and compelling. In contrast, weak simplicity is, and I'm going to let you fill in the blanks there, Dan Ward, so go ahead and help me out here. What do you have on your mind? Yeah, thanks. And actually, those, those three things all wrap in nicely together. So uh, Thank you. strong simplicity, like you said, is, is elegant, it's clear, it's thoughtful, it's compelling. Weak simplicity is sterile, it's ineffective, and it's underwhelming. And so when we talk about, you know, we want to simplify things, we want to make sure we are introducing strong simplicity, that, um, you know, clear, elegant, effective, value-rich type of simplicity, as opposed to weak simplicity, which, you know, is, is where we've simplified things too much. We've made it simplistic rather than uh, simple. And so like the Jerry Harvey quote where people are, are resistant not to change, people are resistant to being left behind. When we oversimplify things, when we get that weak simplicity, we've left out the important pieces. We've left out some, some steps that should not be skipped or some uh, pieces and components and, and capabilities that should not be left out. Uh, oftentimes uh, people identify with those pieces and, and they are correct in their objection that, hey, I don't mind simplicity, I don't mind change, but that particular type of simplicity, that particular type of change is is cutting uh, the wrong thing out. Uh, and oftentimes the wrong thing is, is me, is that, that person. Uh, and so as we introduce change uh, into an organization or into a process, we're going to get a lot less resistance if we take a more inclusive, more more invitational, more thoughtful approach. Uh, and that actually lines up nicely with the design thinking discussion uh, we had just moments ago. Thank you very much. Very interesting. I have a, a something to say to the whole panel before we finish. I'm reminding myself here. We'd love to get Mark McCauley to chime in. Mark, what do you think? Strong simplicity versus weak simplicity? Uh, can we go too far? Can we oversimplify and basically take the guts out of something? What's your point of view, please? Yeah, absolutely. When I talk with uh, our customers, they're, you know, and especially HR customers, there seems to be a common theme of, hey, listen, we just want to simplify. We want to adopt standard. And, and typically they're talking about the processes within HR that they've been living with and ultimately how those processes have been translated or over-customized or over-complicated through the systems that they're using today. And in you know, kind of the HR world, it's that whole transformation from the on-premise systems of old and, you know, kind of the promises of the cloud of that simplification and standardization. And I caution them in the same way that Dan's cautioning them. And the way that I put it is, you know, yes, your quest should be for simplifying and standardizing. But one of the things that you want to make sure that you don't do is that you don't lose the sophistication. And so I talk about sophistication as being that thing that allows you to truly differentiate who you are and what you do in what matters. And, you know, it is the, the key differentiation for in HR, how you're going to, you know, attract the top talent. Um, you know, if there are processes that there really is only one way to do it or should be only one way to do it, then yes, simplify. But in those other processes, you shouldn't give up your sophistication because a lot of times that's your competitive differentiator. That's the personality that's your infused culture that you want to maintain as you're going about your transformation of systems, processes, and the experiences that you're delivering to, uh, you know, who you are servicing within the organization. So, Thank you know, you. Yep. Uh, sophistication to me is a, is a key differentiator. 
um, that in oversimplifying, um, you don't want to lose your identity. Thank you, Mark. Suzanne McAndrew, please join us. What do you think? Yeah, I think we're at a real uh, tipping point of not getting what we mean by simplicity right. And I, I agree uh, with both um, panelists and what they had to say. I think we are at a risk because HR practitioners are over-indexing on data to data-driven decisions on really understanding the rational side of what needs to change to build their business case because it's hard to get an investment in doing something different in HR. I think what we're forgetting is we have to get to the intuitive side, um, the empathy side of what, what it means to, to, to feel what the change is going to be like. So we under overcome that weak simplicity, right? So it's not sterile and ineffective. And I think that that tension point is, is playing out, frankly, in some of the challenges employers are seeing in attracting and retaining um, some of the high performers as well as engaging people in what, what the future of their organization can be. So, uh, you know, my call out to HR leaders is to think about what are they doing to put both the, the, the analytical and the intuitive things in balance and bring together not just what the rational data says, but really what that's going to feel like and the empathy side as they drive change forward. Thank you, Suzanne. I'm going to move on. We have just a few minutes left, about actually four minutes before we go into our crystal ball predictions round. Mark McCauley, I'm going to pull out a couple of key, I think these are very quotable thoughts and moments here in your notes. I'm just going to string the three together and I'm going to give you about two minutes to talk about it. And then, Suzanne, we're going to get to you for your predictions and we'll go around the table. But Mark McCauley told me the following, and I'm pulling these out of several of his notes. Number one, simplicity is an illusion, a magic trick. Let's let that that's it for a second. Number two, simplicity is a great scalpel to cut apart complexity. That's interesting. And number three, the starting point for me in any process of simplification or any process in general is to act dumb. Why don't we start with the third one? I just have a minute and a half to two minutes for you. Mark, talk to me, please. Very interesting. You know, I, I, I used to fix computers. I used to, you know, uh, be really kind of deep in the details of technology and you know when you make assumptions or come into trying to solve problems with assumptions sometimes you just don't ask the dumb questions uh and you know i had the privilege of being in a room with dan ward and as we have gotten to the end of the day of of going through a bunch of different topics and things he you know he even brought it around to you know just simple questions that you can ask that on the surface might sound dumb, but in reality, it's those dumb questions that, that really help you to kind of define, am I solving the right problem in the first place? Um, being able to identify that problem, and it was like, you know, simple questions like, you know, what problem are we trying to solve? Who else has that problem? Who doesn't have that problem? So again, not bringing your assumptions and asking what sometimes seems like the dumb questions, like why are we doing this in the first place? Um, is really allows you to cut through and make sure that you don't bring along a lot of the assumptions that are going to be barriers to change and barriers to, you know, bringing forward complexity uh, and, and, and inheriting the existing complexity that you have um, as part of the process. 
Thank you very much. Very interesting. Wish we had more time to delve into that. Maybe we will in your crystal ball prediction. Let's go back around the table. Suzanne McAndrew, I know you're ready. Suzanne at Willis Towers Watson. Suzanne, I'm going to give you a whole 60 seconds. Let's start there. And if we have a little more time, we'll, we'll go back to what Mark just shared and see if you all agree with that. But Suzanne, predict between now and anywhere 2020, 2025 tops. What will change about this concept of whether we should simplify the complexity in HR, whether we're at risk of taking out the meat on the bones that will make things doable? What's your thought? Will anything change? Suzanne McAndrew, 60 seconds, go. Yeah, so as Peter Drucker said, the best way to predict your future is to create it. And I think that calls upon our HR leaders as a must deconstruct what we're doing today and think about where we're going to radically retool to bring more talent intelligence, more customer centricity and culture, more of a talent experience to life. And that is going to be the way forward to get get out of our own way and, uh, and create more simple solutions that really have the impact that we need to create. Thank you very much. And by the way, there is a dispute on who actually said that. Some people say it goes all the way back to Abraham Lincoln. Did you know that? There you go. And not. And I have had it on this show many times, and the, the source I usually use is Alan Kay, who said it in the 1970s, but it's equally attributed to Peter Drucker and Alan Kay. So who knows? Who knows? We're, we're, I'm looking for simplicity in quote attributions. That's one of my goals for next year. Thank you very much. Great quote and great point, Suzanne. Let's go to Dan Ward. Dan, I've got 60 seconds with your name on them for your prediction. What do you see? Yeah, I tend to be somewhat allergic to predicting the future um, because it is so hard and dicey to do. But I have noticed this pattern that complexity tends to be cyclical. Uh, In fact, that's one of the main points in my book, The Simplicity Cycle. Uh, And so I predict we're going to see things uh, genuinely get simpler and better. I think we've been at a a peak in the the wave for a while, and I think we're going to be heading into a phase where um, we're discovering and and pursuing and, and establishing that rich, strong simplicity. Uh, and then after that, things will get complicated again. I like that. I kind of like that. I think life without complexity would maybe be boring. Sorry. I, I think I'm with you on that. Mark totally McCauley, agree. I have a whole... Well, actually, we're ahead of the clock here. They they were so concise. Mark, because I shorted you a little bit on your topic, I'm going to give you a whole 90 seconds and let's see where we are when you're done. So what's your prediction, Mark McCauley? Yeah, my prediction is that, you know, right now I kind of see complexity really lives more in the middle layer of processes and systems from a process perspective, Um, but it is completely exploded at the data level. Um, So that's both good and and, and kind of bad news right now and what we're living with. Um, I think what's going to happen is because we now have technologies to make more sense of the glut of data that we have and that we develop that the complexity is going to be pushed down much lower into the data layer, and we're going to do a much better job of being able to apply things like machine learning, AI, and things that can scale to keep up with that complexity. And what you're going to see is you're going to see the benefit of simplification really start to, you know, enable these experiences um, at a much more deeper level, and it is going to be that, you know, your workforce experience of how you're interacting within the workforce is going to equal the simplicity of experience that you're getting as a consumer. Um, mm-hmm. But again, it's really going to be driven by, you know, the glut of data that we're going 
continue to have in us more effectively applying these technologies down at the data layer and translating to better experiences to the human. Thank you very much, Mark. I, we do have a little bit of time left, uh, and I have just enough time to go around to first Suzanne and then Dan. Let's just see if the two of you want to chime in here on the last point that Mark made before we did the predictions. The starting point in any process of simplification is to act dumb. Suzanne, response to that? Reactions? I think that's absolutely right. I think, um, you know, a lot of times we... We want to be the smartest person in the room, but unless we're willing to actually listen a little bit and ask, have the courage to ask that question, then, you know, we will overcome, <laughs> we will take some of the words like agile and AI and, um, you know, big data for HR and we'll actually make it very complicated and do the wrong thing. Mm. Don't want to do that. <laughs> Let's, Dan Ward, what do you think? Is acting dumb the way to cutting through the, the complexity or getting the simplicity to be just the right flavor of simplicity? What's your thought? Right. I, I find there's, uh, there's great wisdom in acting dumb, uh, and I'm a big believer in asking dumb, simple questions. Uh, as Mark mentioned, uh, he and I had a, a great chat a while back uh, where we did just a lot of that, just putting basic questions on the table. And the cool thing about a simple question is that it doesn't just cut through complexity. Uh, it really reduces confusion because it forces you to bring more, more clarity uh, and more information to the table uh, because it's, it sort of cuts through the assumptions and the, the unstated things. And when we cut through that, uh, things get simpler, but they also get less confusing. And, and that's really the benefit. It is the benefit. I have to share with the three of you a, a quick story. I worked for Nokia on the uh, IntelliSync mobile suite. They had bought IntelliSync, and I was on the marketing side of Nokia in White Plains many years ago. And somebody walked over to my desk. I was doing brochures and th- things like that. You know, it was all digital at that point. You weren't even allowed to print business cards. You, you couldn't print anything. It was all digital. And um, somebody walked over to my desk and said, hey, we have this this manual. We're doing some technical manuals. Would you mind take a look at it, taking a look at it? We know you're a detail-oriented person. And so I took a look and I found out that they had simplified the instructions in this technical manual so much that it was almost impossible to follow what this person was trying to teach the reader. So I said to them, put back a diagram here. Give me the five steps. Don't just say follow. They had simplified it to the point of confusion. And that's why I think what we're talking about. You can take the guts out of it, right? It was an illusion. And thank you very much. On that note, we're going to say thank you to our very special panelists. You've all been wonderful speaking with you. Suzanne McAndrew, thank you so much. Appreciate your time and your insights. Dan Ward, keep being the Dan Ward. By the way, are there other Dan Wards? Because your Twitter handle is the Dan Ward. And I was curious real fast. Yes. uh, Somebody else had Dan Ward. So I had to be the Dan Ward. I love it. You could have said the real term word, but that gets too political. Thank you very much. And Mark McCauley, thank you so much at SAP. Appreciate it. Of course, a shout out to the sponsor of this series, Dr. Patty Fletcher, who is on a book tour and she, she lands at SAP once in a while. She comes up with great topics for these shows. So I want to thank Patty for bringing, changing the game with Archar back for the third season. We really appreciate it. Always good information. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Thank you so much for joining us and a special shout out to A-Rod 
everybody at World Talk Radio for being our engineer extraordinaire today. We appreciate it. And I have a call to action. I know you all can't wait for this one. It's the same on all of our Game Changer shows. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a Game Changer today. And that's an order, a simple order, just like Suzanne McAndrew, just like Dan Ward, just like Mark McCauley. I'll be back 10 a.m. Eastern tomorrow, Thursday, the 4th of October, with another edition of our live show, Think Big, Work Small, talking about looking for brand advocates. Look within. Join me and figure that one out. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with HR, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again Thursdays at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Business Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.